Tonight we're going to speak on the concept of God is in control. And we're going to address this aspect of it, the sovereignty of God. Now this is a very disputed, beloved statement and also one that a lot of people have arguments with. So we'll be looking into the aspect of the sovereignty part of God. And how does that fit in? Is it true that God's in control? Now, especially as times get worse, everybody starts yelling, God is in control, and that's supposed to calm everyone down. But if he's in control, it doesn't look like it's going very well, or there's better seasons than others. As we look into it, we're going to be approaching the thing that's called the famous triangle, and it's God is powerful, God is good, why evil on the earth? And we're going to deal with one side of the triangle tonight, and it'll be that God is powerful. The side of the triangle that speaks into the power nature of God. So if God is in control, it would be on this side of the triangle. It would be at this level that we're asking that question. And so we know that God is all-knowing. He's all-present. He's all-power. It's very unique that the side of him that's all-knowing is a great part of his power. To be all-knowing, to have that kind of information is to be a very powerful being. And so tonight is the godness of God. The G-O-D, the godness of God. So when people say God is in control, this is the backdrop. And this is what people are thinking. The world has gone crazy, but God is still holding things together. And it makes everyone feel just a little more secure to say those words. Now, the catchphrase for everything that happens, God is in control, causes these issues to be thrown into that category. If you don't know how to explain something, everything you can't explain, you just say, God's in control. Every bad thing that happens, you just say, God is in control. People love one-sentence answers. You don't have to think or dig or know your Bible or anything. You just say, God's in control. And the world is in an awful mess So let's stop right here and ask the question, is this statement true in regards to what I just said? In areas that are unexplainable, in every bad thing that happens, in just the fact that you give a flippant answer to someone? And so if you're saying that, stopping here and seeing that if this is a true statement, obviously God is in control, right? Well, let's look. So God has a divine order for the world. He has authority and power. Let's look at how this lines out in Scripture. Now, this is a beautiful part of your Scripture, of your Bible, of this revelation, of this understanding, that first of all, that God is the one holding it all together. And it is a combination of His power and His mercy that holds this crazy mess that we made together. (laughs) Otherwise, the world would be just pure chaos if the Holy Spirit wasn't hovering and the prayers of the people weren't holding it together for a structure or a strength for us. So the structure of God being in control is something that I'm going to compare to a skeleton. And it's like an overall ideal. So the skeleton is your bone structure. And would you say that kind of holds you together? You know, you kind of have a bag and it has your muscles in it, bones are in it, (laughs) kind of holds it all together. Well, it's very unique to understand that aspect of the structure of the power of God, especially when you're dealing with pagan worldviews. 
you know, they have a completely foreign, messed up view of the worldview is like. Now, I'm going to give you your two verses on how God holds it together. And it's going to be Hebrews 1, 3. And it says, the Son, Jesus Christ, is sustaining all things by his powerful word. So what sustains everything, what sustains all things, you're going to have to understand what the word sustains means to understand this, but he sustains the world. He sustains all things by his powerful word. And then Colossians 1.17, it says, Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. So he upholds all things by the word of his power. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so that is your understanding, that in the world, through God, all things hold together by his power and by his word. So you see that beginning, that opening of the Bible, of the word of God, as it's spoken. So he holds all things together or it would go flying apart. And he created this universe by speaking. And so it's unique to see that's what holds it together is the very fact that he spoke it into existence. So things continue to be held together by his spoken word. If you look at Hebrews 1.3 and how this fits together. So God's power should bring us some security and comfort. His power. But we cannot afford to let the Calvinists camp have the realm of God's power and sovereignty when it is a precious gift to us. You cannot take the term sovereignty and not understand how that is a beautiful concept to you of the power and the majesty and the largeness We lose words when we understand the magnitude of how big God is. And he holds it together. Especially when you hear the sentence that earth is his footstool. So you think in terms of God and his majesty and how great it is. I do not want to surrender that term to a different camp who is going to say something completely different with it. And what's amazing by it, the trouble I have with Calvinist thinking on sovereignty of God is they see God too small. And it's actually, while they say it's power and while they say it's all-powerful being and they describing this way, it actually hides behind the fact that they literally are covering the fact that they do not see the bigness of God in their life. The strength. I mean, language even begins to fail us at the point of trying to describe how big he is. That's why you like those words like omnipotent. (laughs) You start speaking in languages, words that you can explain the mysteries. How can you describe such a God? No man is lacking. And so in that, take comfort. In that, realize that he has big shoulders. That there's nothing better than the fact that your God... Your Father God has the strength, the shoulders, and the arms that he puts around you. Yes, he is all-powerful. It's a beautiful concept. And he created that it puts them all securely in place. And especially for you as a believer, there's a security that you can step into in this realm. So there's strength 
that the sovereignty of God gives us. Don't surrender the word to a lesser meaning. Don't surrender the word to someone else's definition. As king of the universe, king of all kings, lord of all lords. And that's who you call father. That's who you call Abba. That's who you call daddy. And that's who you pray to to solve your problems. One time the Lord said to me, your mountains are not my mountains. And I had a new understanding of what my problems look like to him. If you're not enjoying this when you open your prayers in the morning time and say, Our Father, which art in heaven. If you're not seeing his strength and if you're not enjoying what he has freely given you and has given you a personal relationship with him, of all things that we're allowed to call God, of all things that we're allowed to call a holy God, that you almost can't approach him because he's so magnificent, he deemed himself father to us. So using God is sovereign in a wrong manner or in a theological way to, to win an argument is basically saying these words in modern day ways that we compute this. But it's saying this in the wrong manner. God is in control, gets people having false expectations. So we don't have to do anything. It completely is a free pass to get us out of hot water. And it lets us ignore our scriptural responsibilities. Not just our responsibilities, not our human responsibility, but our scriptural, our biblical responsibilities. I want us to define it correctly because I want you to take whatever view you have of the sovereignty of God and say it's even so much larger. It's even so much bigger. It's even more than I could possibly comprehend. And that would be the correct definition. You can't even begin to understand the bigness of God with your three pounds of gray matter. There are no boundaries to God's sovereignty other than what he gives it. It's powerful. You must cherish it, tap into it. If you don't understand your authority as a believer, you will never understand the sovereignty of God. Our free will does not reduce God's sovereignty. Our free will does not reduce his sovereignty. It glorifies it. It magnifies it. And it shows you how powerful he is. He is telling us the things he holds on to don't fly apart. Like the way that the universe is ordered. Earth won't leave its orbit. No matter how much we jump up and down on this earth. <laughs> God has this thing completely in his hands. All things hold together, all in all. Now, there's another aspect to this that I want you to think about. And I was talking to a man who was an atheist. And sometimes a guy that's been an atheist can help you understand more what you believe. He's one of those elites in New York City. And he was talking about the thing that happened to him when he came to faith was that everything made sense to him at the moment he accepted God for who he was and who Jesus is. Like things begin to make sense. It is the concept of all things holding together in him. And if you don't have him, it doesn't come together inside of you. A fancy name for what I'm talking about is assimilation. All things assimilate in Christ. In other words, it's this moment. Oh, now this all makes sense. I don't care what discipline you study. You will find God all in all in every discipline. 
You will see him. It's what makes it all fit together and make sense. It becomes the Hebrews 1.3 and the Colossians 1.17. And if you've never experienced this, if you've never had one of those aha moments where you see how this fits together, this is something I never understood. If you've never experienced this, you are not cohesive in your heart, in your brain layers, and your belief system is lacking if you haven't come to this with the Lord of how this makes everything fit together. And you will spend a lifetime of discovering this. This is sovereignty. He has put a witness of himself in everything that he created. He has put a spark of the divine. God is there and he's whispering into us. So, back to the way that we started. Is God in control? Well, I'm going to tell you that personally, it's a problem that I dislike the word control. That's where it goes wrong for me, is the control. I don't like the word control too much because at that point I would have to say God is controlling. And I don't like the concept of thinking that God is controlling. Controlling people seem very uh, small-minded to me, very fearful, very narrow-minded. It's like they don't have much to do, so they have to control everything. I don't see God as controlling. I see God as sovereign. I see him as authoritative. I see him as magnificent in a way that you cannot comprehend. So let's talk through this, and let's see how do you relate to this God. First of all, let's talk about God's decision-making abilities, his sovereignty in that. I like the word God is in charge. In your view, if there's no choice in your choices, which I know that sounds like There's nobody that would believe that, but that's true. They do. They do not believe that there's actually a choice in your choice. In this understanding of God's decisions, is he coercing you? Is it that word that you hear of, it's determined, determinism? You know, control to the childish, it gives them a reason to blame God for everything. But with an adult, it is with authority that they lead a child. A parent leads a child with authority. And I'm going to say God, like that human adult that we can see with our own eyes, let me just dare to say this. He does outsmart us. And he is superior to us in the way he has authority over us, in the way that he leads us. He is outsmarting you. And he is superior to you for your own good. Be thankful that God is smarter than you. Be thankful to God that the one leading you sees more than you see. This is the best thing that can happen to you is that you recognize God is smarter than me. He is superior to me. I love that about him. You want parents smarter than you when you're a child. Unfortunately, we have a generation, present company excluded, of many children who are smarter than their parents. It's upside down. God never intended for it to be that way. You want your parents to know more than you. How much more with God? How much more should you understand that it's for your very good that he has a sense of humor and he can outmaneuver you and he can outthink you? So God's decisions, God's knowledge, 
people who struggle with this and the determination, uh, the determinism of where they discuss that aspect of the knowledge of God, they can't seem to make it work between foreknowledge and determinism. But let's throw a curveball in there that they don't talk about in the way that we talk about it. Prophecy is a part of God's foreknowledge. How could the prophets of old have prophesied without foreknowledge? And how could we today? So, in the beauty of God, as we look at his knowledge, we look at his decisions that he made. He made a decision to create angels. At what point in time? We don't know. He made a decision to make man. He made the creation of earth in six days. He even had a redemption plan in place since the foundations of the earth of him giving his only begotten, his most beloved son, the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. He was a God who created and he created with a plan. You know, ultimately God stays on track with his plans. That is part of his sovereignty. He is on track. Things beyond us. You know, we have a bird's eye view of this. Look up on a clear night. If you live in the country, you're blessed. There's no city lights for you to see the galaxies and the cosmos. And you look up there, and it's like you can see into forever. Maybe you are. This is what you're seeing, that there are things that God put up there for you to look at, to know He's God. He's big. This is His world. So, perhaps you could use the word control in the realm of absolutes. But I want us to think where we're going with this. God is what Revelation calls the Alpha and the Omega. Man is within the A to Z. Well, that's if you're English. He's within the Alpha and the Omega. In the Judeo-Christian construction of divinity, God is omnipotent, all-powerful. If anything limits you, you're not omnipotent. You're just potent. There are a lot of absolute concepts that are attributed to divinity. And one of the absolutes that God has is that he's eternal. God exists outside the constraints of time, which can imply that for God, there is no beginning and there will be no end either. Those are absolutes. The Alpha and the Omega. You know, God and his son are Alpha, Omega, first and last, and beginning and end. They're the start of all things and the end of all things. They write the first chapter of your life and the last chapter. That they have a plan, a model. So how does God work in complete authority and the most powerful decision maker and knowledge that he could possibly be and still work with your free will? Now, if you're having thoughts of self-will right now, you need to review just what I've just said. (laughs) Because this should keep you from any pride when you think of how big God is. It should also keep you from the hidden pride of insecurity when you think of how big God is when it comes to your problems. Now, I'm going to explain to you in my terms how I think that man's free will fits inside this model. You know, I worked for a man, and he was very highly a decision maker. He wasn't afraid to make his decisions. He would make very strong, firm decisions. Now, 
I called this man dad. And I realized that my dad could go nowhere without already having more than I could possibly do in a lifetime. That's what I called A. But he would look at something else and say, let's get it. We must get involved in that. And that was Z. And so I started looking at the guy and he went around and he went A to Z on every single day of my life. I nicknamed myself his B to Y. That everything in the middle was my job. (laughs) (laughs) And when I would start complaining or saying my load was a little heavy, he would tell me, Angie, you have job security. You don't understand that, but you should be thankful. You have a lot of job security. And so he would dream. I mean, that's where I got the idea that he was a visionary. He would look at the map and he would see the places that were unharvested. He would see the places where no one was working the ground. He would give me a list of what to do in a day's time. And it was in the realm of God. (laughs) Impossible. (laughs) And so that was where I lived in that realm at all times was the B to Y realm. And so my assistant and all of her assistants do the B to Y. (laughs) And this is how I see what is fixed and what's changeable. The fix is eternal. That's why I always thought my dad's kind of changing the pieces on me. And that's because it was endless, eternal, never to be understood with the mind of man. And only would I be on judgment day ashamed of how little I brought to the table on my daily B2Y schedule. People would tell me I needed rest. And my first little Filipino mentor would tell me, there is no rest for the weary. And if I complained, she'd go, there's no rest for the wicked. (laughs) So I understood what was to take place and what our part was. And maybe we should lift our hands and say, many hands make light loads. Because as we join in of the harvest, it gives you a team to work with what you can do. So I would tell you there is much mystery to upper management. There is a lot to understand. Perhaps you'll never understand it till you're put in that position. But I'm going to say there's something you have to pull down. In 1 Corinthians 2.10 it says, Eye has not seen and ear has not heard all the things that God has prepared for him. But 10 says, But those things that are freely given to us by God that we understand them in the Spirit. So while we're looking at the majesties of God, he's looking down to see how I'm doing with B to Y. While I'm looking up saying, God, why are you not? And he's looking at me saying, you must understand what's been freely given to you by God. That's where he talks about, you speak to him spirit to spirit. He says, you jibber-jabber, your mind doesn't understand it. Everybody in their carnal mind and reasoning is trying to understand what you're doing. But he said, in that context of getting into the, what I call the free willing with the Spirit of God, he said, it's in that context that you understand the mind of Christ. That's quite a mind to enter into. That's quite a mind to understand. Those things freely given to you by God. So he's given us glimpses and hints, and we look over and we see perfect creation. We can only imagine what that looked like. It was the A to Z. And he looked at what he did, and God said, it is good. 
So you see that triangle side. The other side we've talked about is power. But when God looked at what he created by his power, by the word of his power, he looked at it and he said, it's good. Man was good. The tree of life. The mysteries. And so he's higher. higher. How do you say it in Texan? Yeah, higher. Very good. And overall, outside the timeline concepts, you know, the top of the box is divine authority. The top of the box is up at the top, but the middle is the part that's padded. Delegated authority. So now we've moved from God's decisions down to our decisions. Humans live in the middle of God's decisions. And in that, he bestowed something called the gift of free will. And this is where time begins. That you came with a gift on your life of being able to choose what you're going to do with your life. It's the individual's entrance. It's your time in history. It's your race. It's whether you're male or female. It's even your birth order. That you've been placed here and you appeared on this earth. Probably with a date attached to you. And this is how God started the human race, and we took it from there. Now, you have to wonder something about this. Do parents' decisions determine a child's entrance or a parent's? You know, it said that Jesus wasn't born by the will of man, the will of flesh. Were you? How much does your parents' free choice determine you? You know, we had to laugh that my brother's son was named Cullen. And we laughed because he came into the world... <laughs> on Cullen Street. <laughs> and we were like, uh, it's quite interesting that you can see the street sign and, and the baby Cullen. And you wonder, how much did the parents have to do with this? We had a lot of family jokes about that, that I'll spare you. But you appeared by the will of God, by the will of man. Which was it? You know, I've wondered, does it work like this? Is it like an assembly line? God just drops those little spirits into bodies. He drops the spirit in and next, and so you have this manufacturing assembly line, and you could have been born in India, China, or Texas. You know, it just was just a matter of which way you were on the belt. There you were carried down to the family. Brazil or Brownwood? Trivandrum? Tijuana? Texas? I mean, you could have been born anywhere. How did it work? You know, people, philosophy class, they try to understand these things, and I don't think they get any further with it, but, you know, when they discuss free will choice, they talk in terms of how much choice is there in your choice. And your understanding of it, well, it's a robot. We're robots. And you have to ask yourself, am I comfortable with that concept that I'm a robot or a puppet? You've got to ask yourself, how much choice is there in your choice? I'm one that believes that we have an authentic choice. That when God gave us choices in the matter, he gave us the ability to make an authentic choice without coercion. So I think this is especially to be understood in Adam and Eve's ousting from the garden, that it demonstrates that God honors our free will choice. And what's amazing to me, I was thinking about this for the last couple of days, this has been on my mind. To think that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening. And to think of the conversation and the fact that it's funny to me, it was in the cool of the evening. It wasn't in the heat of the day. But in the cool of the evening, that man walked with his God. And there's this 
all-powerful being that they met with daily, but they choose to take the advice of something the size of a stick. With the brain that's this big, and no legs, no legs. Maybe it had legs and he yanked them off in the curse. We don't know. But the thing wiggles. And so man, with his great capacity of his three pounds, he looks and he says, should I listen to the stick or should I listen to this magnificent God that talks to me every day and has fellowship? Don't you know, some of us go, why would they ever do that? I mean, my mom, if something goes wrong, why would people do that? Don't you know God was discussing? Why would man do that? Now, if you want to know who he was discussing with, I'm going to just say that the word Elohim is plural there, and you can take it where you want. But that God was discussing this answer here of, why would man choose to listen to the stick? Well, to me, it symbolizes free choice. But what amazes me, because so many people, they make this so opposite to each other. They either preach, God is sovereign, and man has no real choice, or they preach free choice so big that they don't understand that there's some areas that we're not quite privy to. That there is this thing of God's power. There is this thing of his absolute divine choice in it. So we'll do a little historical thought on this. But it's the middle of the timeline. And I want you to know that when man entered here at this juncture, however you want to look at it, whether it was the assembly line, a parental choice by flesh, or whether God divinely made you and planned for where you appeared on this earth, you're here. And God has this timeline that you have fit into, that you've entered into. I want you to see that when a king reigns, the sovereignty of that king is amazing. I want you to see how I think that man's free will fits inside this model. And I want you to think about something, just like we wonder if we have free choice because his will is so big and his decision-making is so powerful, we wonder, is there any room left for us? I'm going to say on the other side of the issue that even though we've entered the timeline of man's free choice and it's gone from being kicked out of the garden to the state that the world's in today, haven't we improved things? I mean, just living on the earth, you just see the genius of man. I mean, you think of education and we've just educated criminals. I mean, what have we done? I mean, I haven't seen the improvement. But anyway, here we are. And we're on this timeline, but just like we would make the point of how much do we factor into God's decision-making, then I'm going to also say that God is actively involved in our decision-making in the middle of the timeline, like that God has not withdrawn himself from us. It's a divine partnership. It's the walking in the cool of the day. It's what God intended with communication with him. You know, the Hebrew thought does something different than the Greek thought. But the Hebrew thoughts describes God as the beginning, the middle, and the end of all things. In other words, God is not agnostic with you. He's not a God that created us and then just dropped us down here and left his creation and became an impersonal God to us. God is actively involved in our timeline. So to me, it's a beautiful partnership to see that we're involved in God's timeline and he is involved in ours. So God's will is at play. It's in motion. 
that just because he made mankind a free will doesn't mean that he extracted his own will in the matter. He has not been taken out of the equation. You need to remember that. That's good to know. It's a nice thing to ask, or you'll be talking to sticks. You'll be making decisions with a blob of flesh up there. Look at your parents. Did they make good decisions? Then ask yourself, how many chances do you have that you're going to make good decisions? So you see this, and you see that God didn't make it where he pulled himself out. He's still on the game table. He's still playing. He still wanted something. It's the reason. Maybe, I don't know if God's told you yet why he's created man. But he created you for a reason. And he's staying involved in your life. There's nothing in him impersonal with you. But at the same time that his will is not extracted, it's not over-invasive either or controlling. It's just the right amount. It's the amount of free will that a lover has. The amount of free will that someone has who loves you dearly. That's how much your free will has in meeting up with the decision-making of God. He wants you to want him. He is the beginning and the end, and we're the middle. So we are in, let's call it, middle management, as those who uh, the great thinkers of the past might say. And he's placed us on earth, thank goodness for this next part, under his care. You know, the one time Jesus got really angry was when they woke him up from his nap. And you would think it was just because he was awakened from his nap that he got so angry. He was awakened with this question, do you not care? And that is a very agnostic question to ask a God who demonstrated how much he cared. So don't insult him. Don't insult the fact that the caring of God is so much over the earth that should a sparrow fall to the ground, the ugliest of all the birds, not because he's exactly ugly, but because he's so plain and there's so many of them, that he says not one of them falls to the earth without his care. And he says they're sold for two cents. He said, how much do you think I think you're worth? Care. So God has given us middle management, and he demonstrated his care for us. And it's quite humorous how he stated it to us. But then he made us caretakers. Maybe a little part of the divine nature. So God was taking care of his caretakers. But alas, we wanted knowledge. Aren't you glad we opened Pandora's box? Hadn't it been fruitful? And so we have this thing now in the free choice realm that there are people who do not partner with God. Have you noticed a few of them? People who do not resist Satan. People who do partner with God. And then people who partner with evil. Those are the free choice ones we run into. The pretend ones are the worst of all. So here's man. We wanted knowledge. We were thinking, oh, God might be hiding something from us. So let's get in. Let's try to be in his realm. All authority is his, and yet he gave man sovereignty. That we have sovereignty in our own right. Maybe a play on words, but that's called man's dominion. That he put us as a caretaker. His will is solely his. Man's will is solely his own will over himself. He has mastery over himself. He must have mastery over himself. If not, they'll medicate you. They have bars to put you behind. 
I talked to someone today, and they're in charge of uh, being in control over someone who doesn't have control over themselves. But you must have mastery over yourself. What is man in charge of? His dominion, his authority. You know, the handing over authority. What was man thinking? He was given authority. What were we thinking in the garden? What on earth was man thinking? That we're handed over authority, and we treat authority like it's a hot potato, and we just throw it. Just throw it to Satan the tempter. And, you know, I haven't seen anything improve because we don't use our authority now. We let other people control us. We're captives. Entertainment. It puts us in these stupors. We're lulled into being passive. Why do we let go of authority so easily? Why? Why do we create doctrines around it so that we don't have to explore the fact that we've been given authority? He placed us under his care and earth under our care. And we got out from under it. We got out from under his care. We got out from under his protection. We were supposed to be naming the animals, not listening to the animals' advice. (laughs) Divine authority. Delegated authority. You know, you reach into this world, and if you haven't theologically seen this, there are things that happen that are not his will. In the middle realm, things... We don't do that he asks us to do. Things we take out of his hand and handle them ourselves. In this realm of things that happen which are not his will, it's death. Ezekiel 18.32, Ezekiel 18.23. That God has no pleasure in the death of anyone. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel has another one of these verses. Things that which happen which are not his will. I would say um, I wrote down kingship. People who are put in leadership who are not his will. Do you believe that? Of course you do. How could we not? But Saul. It's like mankind puts a demand and a demand on God's will until you wear him down to a place he lets us have our own will. And we call ourselves subjected to God's will. We're his people. But that's how they got Saul. Think of those things in your life you got because you wore God out. You demanded and demanded and demanded and insisted and insisted until you put a bow on it. (laughs) You gave it to yourself. God's will. Why do we debate this? God's will is for no one to perish. But God doesn't always get his way. He might not even get his way most of the time, the majority of the time. It might be a narrow gate. It might be a narrow road. God's will. You know... It's a beautiful statement, these words alone, whosoever will. His choice chooses our choice. When you say whoever will and you say yes to God with your heart and your mouth, his choice chooses our choice. God's will combusts with whosoever will. Whosoever will. No limitations. John 3.16, John 6.40, John 12.46, Acts 2.21, Romans 10.9 and 13, Revelation 22.17, God says, whosoever will. takes a lot of work to write that out of the Bible. A lot of doctrinal dancing to say whosoever will is not whosoever will. And then if you don't want to talk about the positive side, whosoever wills to rejecting. 
John 3:18, John 3:36, Matthew 10:33, Mark 8:38, Luke 9:26, Luke 12:9. Should I go on? He didn't coerce you. But this is a bold statement. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel 2:32. This is the land of middle management where your choice counts. The land of ought to be's and ought not be's. The Luke 13, 16, where he would look at his creation and he would say, this ought not be. This ought not. Unhealed people, undelivered people ought not be. Man's responsibility. Man's responsibility is the sovereignty of man. It's the free choice. It's one way that we are made in his image because we choose our words and we choose our actions and we have the faculty to direct our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. That's a lot of direction. You could do a movie with that. Your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. I had a friend the other day, I don't know why she would suggest this, but while she's cutting my hair, she said, Angie, I think you would do better in life. I said, well, what do you mean I'd do better in life? She said, if I could put a bug in your ear and... Uh, Every time you needed to say something, I'd listen to what everybody's saying around you, and I'd tell you what to say. She said, I think I, you could do better in life. <laughs> you would have better relationships. <laughs> we choose our words. <laughs> we choose our thoughts. <laughs> we choose our deeds. I looked at her life, and I said, oh, no, heavens, no. <laughs> you don't even have a home right now. You managed to uh, try to buy one and lose yours at the same time. I'm like... Uh, it's not working for you. She said, I cursed the people that got the home I wanted. I said, why don't you just pray and ask God? Can you imagine that bug in your ear? Free choice. We are free to decide how we spend our time, who we will marry, what company we will work for, where we drive our cars, what we use our money for. Free will. You need to really think in terms of how much free will. No wonder you're telling your parents, let me be my own person. At 16... We're scared. I'm scared to see you on the road. Free choice. God is not passive, and we cannot be passive. We must stirt our free will. And stirting our free will is not making decisions that we don't consider him in, that we don't pray about, that we don't get a word from him. We don't include God, and then we say God is in control. On that basis... I bet he would have said, I, I would have never known it. <laughs> God is in control gets people having false expectations, which turns into blame when they're in pain. You know, the good news is, like, I don't have to, in blind faith, accept my circumstances and receive evil and be confused about where it comes from. I do not have to tell myself, God did this to me. That is the good news of understanding we are making decisions, passive or active. We are involved, or worse yet, we're not involved. But the glory of man, more than just naming those animals, is man's ability to change things. Now, there's another aspect to this that I want you to think about. Our free will does not reduce God's sovereignty that there's a divine partnership, a delegated authority, where you can actually change time. Oh, don't tell me you can't. Even in the Old Testament, Joshua 
10, 12 through 14. Lord, I haven't finished killing all my enemies today. I need more time. Steph sees that as her theme scripture every day. One more hour. Look how much more I could clean up. She's not talking about the sticks and the trash. Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles 29. The ability that man can negotiate with the eternal to change the timeline we're on. You're not living till you got into changing time. John and I were discussing that one day. Driving from north of Dallas down to Victoria, the wedding lasted an hour later than it should have. We were an hour above it. And we were talking about this concept. It works better when you don't observe where you are. Because when we looked at the signs, we were two hours further down the road than any possibility we could have been. With how deeply John and I were talking and how slow we were driving and how much we were into the spirit, we just kind of floated into our house about 1.25 at night. Time. The ability to change events and situations. You have not picked up the nature of God until you can sense something bad happening and use preventative prayer to shift it. That you can sense something going the wrong direction and cry out for mercy for the people. The ability that you can change a disaster which might have occurred into what ought to be and what should be. I've seen people on the beach in Florida dancing as the hurricane is headed towards them with praise and worship music as the hurricane suddenly shifts. Can we? Free will. Authority. It's more than giving your dog a name. Discovering our purpose. The reason God created us. Please just do me a favor and don't ask God at 65 what you should do. Please start now. If you haven't started and you're 66, go ahead and ask. But asking God, what is the reason I'm on this earth? And then you look at the percentage of how much your life is invested in the kingdom. 30, 60, 100. How much fruit? And then you have Ephesians 6 of uh, realizing that we're actually in a struggle. That there's something that wants to come against the fruit, our life investment, and our purpose for our life. And it says we're struggling actually with things we can't see of principalities. And we can affect it. And history and time flow towards a certain end. Where I started earlier, that time began, and then time will be no more. And now it's time for the individual to exit. I have a deep question for you on that, but we'll save it for a minute. So God's decisions, God allowing man to affect him. Did you hear me right? Is that even possible? Has that sermon been preached in reform circles? That God will allow man to affect him? Let's not use the King James that we cause God to repent. God has the last word, yet man has been known to change the mind of God. Can you deal with the Almighty? Lord, if there's 45 righteous, say 30. Let's make a deal, 25. 10. I dare not go any further. Can you change the mind of God? Not if he's God, but maybe if he's dead. That's who you call Abba. You can I know how some of you have your fathers wrapped around your little finger. He deemed himself father to us. And when God loves you, he will do anything for your best interest, only for you to find out he had already thought of it before you were ever conceived as you changed the mind of the Lord. 
He wants someone to ask him for mercy instead of judgment. God's decisions. Yes, there'll be judgment. There'll be the thousand years millennial kingdom, the devil locked up, and a new heaven and a new earth. The A and Zs of God in eternity is both outside and inside time. C.S. Lewis said it. God is the eternal now. So I have a question for you. Is free will bookended? Like you know how books have bookends. Does it have an ending like time? Is free will eternal? If it is, don't mess up like the angels in whatever capacity they had free will. The free will of man is not inclusive or comprehensive. Don't think I'm going to tell you the answer to that. But I am going to tell you something. But like a parent with a child, there is no bookend to a child once you've conceived them. Once the child exists, they always exist. They are eternal. When people just nonchalantly say, I'm pregnant, they don't realize that they've started something that has no ending. A soul that has to be stirred As a child, that child goes into eternity. Does your free will go into eternity? One day I figured this out, this theological question with my mother. I said, Mother, at least you can get rid of me at 18. She laughed. She said, 18? I couldn't get rid of you at 21. She said, I've noticed I'm still not rid of you. I may have to live next to you in heaven. I mean, you realize that kid's not going away. Whether you were dropped into that baby's body or you were next in line. Am I the sum total of my mother's and dad's choices and their parents before them? And and somehow that gives me a predetermined context is birth, my parents' free will factors, which opens up options to the next generation based on what my parents decided and based on what you're deciding now. Does it open up to generational blessings or curse factors? Well, they do have free choice in who they decide to marry. Let's marry this one, IQ. Parents' education. Or as my brother said, it's just as easy to fall in love with a rich woman as a poor one. (laughs) Choices. Which race? I personally did not have anything to do with the fact that I was born Texan. But my parents had choices in that. My grandparents moved off the farm in Missouri. Moved out of Germany. Not in 38, as you would think. And they create choices. But the ultimate choice of all... If mother had married the man she was engaged to, would I be mother's and Don Flory's child or mother and dad's child? Whose child would I be? We have sat around the table and dad said, I don't know whose you would be if your mother had married Don. These are such deep questions. We didn't choose our parents. The sovereignty foundation, the sovereignty of God's decision. Things that we have no voice in. But we must call sovereignty by the right name with the right definition. Now I'm going to use a little bad English. Things that were before you was. Things that was before you were. (laughs) (laughs) The stages of the free will. Your time in history. Your origin. God's sovereignty over the first stage of your life. Psalms 139, 13 through 14. You form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. I could never throw the gift of life back in the face of the giver.
for you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. And when as yet there were none of them, Psalm 139.60, before there ever was a day, you had already written the book of my life, the color of my eyes, the number of the hairs upon my forehead. My package is a gift to me. My name, my appearance, it's a gift. Good health, it's a gift. Phase two, under management. Managed and coming of age, you choose what you want to study, not at age five, but perhaps at 18 in college. The middle management, you can either make the company weaker or make it stronger and better. If you invest in the company, you will have a deeper interest if you're a kingdom worker. The power of the neck, the upper management of the Elohim, God is in authority there. The lower management, where it says we've been made a little lower than Elohim. Hebrews 2, 7, Psalms 8, 5. Mid-management, that's where I am. That Jesus had this, he had his parents' choice. He had what his parents worked out with God when they made a nightly dash out of Bethlehem. He had mid-choice at 12 when he didn't obey his parents, but did stay a few days later to study. And then he came into his own as a man at age 30. And when he said, who's my mother? These prophecies aren't movable. They're in the arena of absolutes. But there were prophecies that he brought about in the arena of middle management. You have two types of prophecies of your life. Those that you will bring about and those that you have something to do. So your third phase of stages and phases, the phases of your life, all the other lessons on God is in control will be our part. We will discuss the B to Y, the middle management. But this one shows you how magnificent it is that the two parts work together. It is where we make the most mistakes in your life. The most mistakes we will make in our life is the sin of omission. We will fail like we did in the garden if we are passive and expect God to handle everything. And with wrong doctrine, we are destined to repeat it again. And you must rise up. And you must push back against the sin of omission and say, I will partner with God and I will work with him. For the A to Z is this one. So you can't be using the goddess in control for the middle management area, the delegated authority. We fail and we blame him. It's so childish. Eve at least didn't do it. I can say that to the woman's credit. She blamed the snake. But the man, he blamed the woman. And then he said, and God, you were the one that gave her to me. And since that day, God will never tell you what woman to marry. (laughs) You will make your own choice and stand with it. Women, you may ask. You know it's a snake. To cover our sin of powerlessness... Or the devil strikes because he's the god of this world and we claim it was a god act. A terrible mess we have made of our middle management. And may God add his blessing (laughs) to the study of scripture of the sovereignty of God. Amen. Amen.